Alrighty folks, and welcome to the Conquer Podcast channel. This is episode 43, The Rise of the Tang Dynasty. The Tang Dynasty has been praised as China's second golden age, after the Han Dynasty being the first of said golden ages. The Tang Dynasty didn't last as long as the Han, but it was pretty close, lasting from 618 to 907 CE. It was a time where the Chinese Empire had expanded to even greater heights than it ever had before. The Silk Road was open once again, chubby girls were seen as the true beauties of the world, a woman became the first and only official Empress of China, and lots of new religions travelled into China and were accepted. One could argue that it truly was a golden age. But the nature of this podcast isn't talking about the golden age just yet. We're going to talk about where it all began. It should be noted though that the last emperor of the Sui dynasty was known as an incompetent fool who couldn't run the realm properly. The emperor, by later accounts, would spend loads of the treasury on his own carnal pleasures, neglect the state and basically led the Sui empire to ruin. All in all, the last emperor of the Sui was solely responsible for losing the Mandate of Heaven. Notice that I said later accounts, because those later accounts were of course written by the Tang scholars, who wanted to justify the Li family's rise to power and their overthrow of the Sui. But where did the Li family come from? Let's dig back a bit and trace their family tree to a while before they became emperors and find out. The seven generations before Li Yuan, one of our main characters for our podcast today, the Li family were a powerful one, and in the court of the former Northern Zhou state, and the head of the Li uh, family was Li Gao. He was a powerful general and served the Zhou court well. Fast forward a few generations later and you have Li Yuan's grandfather, Li Hu another military man who fought in many wars and rendered service to the court. A reward for said service was that when he died, he was posthumously titled the Lord of Tang. And would you look at that? Now you know where the word Tang comes from when referring to the dynasty. When rebellions were breaking out across the Sui Empire, being a descendant of many military generals, Li Yuan was given command of an army to deal with the rebellion in modern-day Gansu province. The up-and-coming general was given the task of not only putting down the rebellion, but also defending the all-important city of Taiyuan, which was of vital strategic importance at the day, and that is located in modern-day Shanxi province. So when you look at this, Li Yuan was tasked with defending basically two provinces, modern-day Gansu and Shanxi province. Now, if the rebels did take it, or if any rebels took it, they could make their way to Chang'an, and then of course Luoyang, which just highlights the importance of this city called Taiyuan. After doing a rather successful job of dealing with the rebellion toward the northern frontier, there was a bit of back and forth between Li Yuan and Emperor Yang at the court, because in Chinese history, if a general does too good a job, it usually results in a jealous minister or a jealous emperor plotting to get rid of him. And by get rid of him, I mean permanently. 
The situation was no different for Li Yuan. So when he was recalled to court in the year 614, rather than facing the court and probably certain death, he feigned illness, then proceeded to get drunk a lot and appeared to be accepting a lot of bribes. Now as this information was trickling back to the imperial court, the emperor was somewhat hoodwinked into believing that Li Yuan was not an ambitious man, therefore recalled his order to return to court, and instead gave him another task in military affairs. By the year 615, to show his sincerity, the emperor asked Li Yuan with suppressing bandits at Hudong Pass to eliminate bandits who had sprung up there. Now it is time for us to shine a light for the real hero in this story. It isn't Li Yuan, but his son, Li Shimin. Li Shimin was one of four sons, the eldest being Li Jianchang, second being our hero, Li Shimin, Li Xuanba, who unfortunately died at a young age, and then finally Li Yuanji. Now for anyone who knows how these brothers are to one another, then you'll be excited for the next episode as it will discuss nothing but the power struggle between them. But back to the narrative and our main character, the legendary Li Shimin. His name actually means save the earth, pacify the people. How prophecy-like. So Li Shimin was born in the year 598, and he quickly became an astute boy who excelled at calligraphy, who was able to understand the histories and philosophies of China at the time, and he excelled in Tartar-style warfare. By all accounts, at a very young age, he was able to ride a horse exquisitely whilst firing bows and arrows whilst on horseback. Basically, this boy had a very bright future in front of him, if he could live long enough. By the time he was 16, in the year 615, Li Xiumin's father was stationed in Shanxi province, and whilst there, he was able to review the classics of China, go hunting, and even participated in battles on the frontier of the Sui Empire, which all gave him experience for the future. But his first major encounter also came in this year. On a mission to try and sow dissension among the Turkic neighbours, Emperor Yang basically gave lots of gold to all officials within the Turkic Khanate to try and make them side with him over their current ruler and undermine that ruler's authority. At the same time though, a Chinese princess was sent over to the Khan to give the impression that the Sui were indeed friendly neighbours. But of course, the Khan, named Shabi, was no shabby, or in English, he wasn't an idiot. And he knew exactly what the Emperor was up to. Not that it mattered, in the summer of 615, Emperor Yang decided to escape the heat of the capital and travelled north to the frontier and beyond, only to find himself getting surrounded by Turkic uh, troops and in a very precarious position in the fortification at Yanmen. The Turkic leader thought this would be a great time to teach the Sui Emperor some manners. Now stuck in a position where the imperial entourage was going to run out of supplies fast, the emperor was stuck between a rock and a hard place, and as a result, hesitated. He wavered between advice from his commanders, which said they should break out of the siege, and his officials, who said the emperor's 
emperor should write a letter to the Chinese princess currently married to Kan Shubi. It is said that the emperor was crying so much over this debacle that he got himself into that his eyes were blood red with tears. But again, that's later Tang sources saying that, so take it with a pinch of salt. In this occasion, the emperor sided with the officials in making his decision and sent a dispatch to the empress, whilst at the same time he gave up the war in Korea temporarily and offered rewards to anyone who could save him. The imperial dispatch made its way towards the hands of Li Yuan, who decided to act immediately. Li Yuan decided it was best to help the emperor and seen this as a perfect opportunity to help his son Shimin get some experience. What a great father-son activity, right? Let's go to war together! Try not to die. But back to the main story, the officer's plan was simple. Send a ragtag force of cavalry north as quickly as possible and try to deceive the enemy into thinking a huge relief army was on the way. The officer's plan also said they would pin the responsibility on Li Shumin and say he was the one who came up with the plan. Now why would they do this? Clearly they were more experienced than this teenager, why give him the credit? Well this is the thing, Emperor Yang in particular had an issue with people messing things up, so much so that the slightest thing that annoyed him would result in a beheading. However, Li Shimin was just a boy still, which meant that he would escape a severe punishment. And to his credit, Li Shimin accepted the plan and accepted responsibility for it, as he knew he was protecting his commanders by doing so. Now it was acts like this which gave Shumin the respect of his generals and would help him in his future endeavours. Now don't get me wrong, Li Shumin would still get punished if the plan failed, but it would more than likely not be a beheading, so everyone would kind of live to tell the tale if it went horribly wrong. So the plan went ahead and the forces under Li Yuan spread across as thin a line as possible on the dirt roads and with that they would kick up as much dust as possible as they approached the enemy. At night, every man lit more than three fires to make the presence seem more numerous than it actually was. The Turkic army saw this and were actually told to withdraw. Not so much that they were afraid of the challenge, but because they heard reports of another army report approaching them from the north. So they withdrew. Now, this dispatch of an army approaching from the north actually came from the Chinese princess who the emperor wrote to. So it was a bit of deception on both fronts here because there was deception within the court itself because the empress was saying there's an army attacking and by all accounts there wasn't actually one attacking. And at the same time, the relief force for the Sui Emperor seemed a lot larger than what it actually was. So after saving the Emperor, it proved Li Yuan's loyalty to him, and at the same time, Li Yuan's military prestige, or even his family's prestige, increased significantly. However, the Sui dynasty was clearly struggling at this stage, and the Emperor became more and more irate. It seemed that the dynasty was on the verge of collapse. What didn't help was that a prophecy was circling around the realm 
that a new dynasty would rise very soon, and the name would be Li. This reached the ears of the Emperor, of course, and as a result, it put the Sui court at odds with anyone who had the surname Li. Now, Li Yuan was no exception here, and for the time being, he was quite happy to be in the north of the realm, dealing with rebellions and Turkic invasions into the Sui. But, after a brief setback, Li Yuan was called to the capital. Now, everyone knew that if he went, he wouldn't return. So Li Yuan decided to turn the setbacks into victory for the Emperor. But of course, by doing this, he was disobeying the Emperor. And the Emperor simply labelled this as treason, and there was a war of espionage emerging between the two. The Li family had connections to the capital, and said connections were really pushing for Li Shimin, not really his father, to rebel against the Sui dynasty. Now, the reason why they were pushing for Li Shimin to rebel was because that he was still extremely young. So they could blame it on young, a young man's passions rather than Li Yuan, who was a bit older and obviously he should be a bit wiser. But rather than jumping headfirst into rebellion, Li Shimin did his best to explore all options and even notified his father to this. Basically, the House of Tang was biding his time to see how the Sui dealt with the chaos erupting throughout the realm. But it wasn't looking good for the current dynasty, because as soon as one rebellion was suppressed, it seemed like four more had sprung up, and the whole empire was beginning to spiral out of control. With Shimin's friends in the capital, and seeing no other way to survive what would be a Sui purge, Li Yuan decided to rebel against the imperial court. Now, some people actually say it wasn't so much Li Yuan who decided to rebel, but actually his son, Li Shimin, pushing him to do it. But a lot of people want to give Li Shimin more credit than sometimes he deserves. So, again, take it with a pinch of salt. Now, Li Yuan did his utmost to keep the rebellion a secret so as to surprise the Sui and ensure victory was theirs. As for the starting position, Li Yuan couldn't have really asked for a better one. He was a respected commander, he clearly had capable sons, and by sons I mean one really, and geographically he was in a very defensible position. In Shanxi province there were many passes due to the territory there. For example, the Yellow River passes through the province, and there are mountains, which are in close proximity to the banks of the river. So as a result, between the river and the mountains there were very narrow choke points which previous founders of dynasties created walled fortifications and made it almost impossible to be conquered by other warlords who had imperial ambitions. It was clear then that Li Yuan had studied his history and he knew that the Zhou had conquered the Shang from this position, the Qin conquered the other warring states from here, the Han won the Chu Han contention from being in this position and even the Sui regime had done the same. By the year 615 though, it was now the House of Tang's turn to repeat this history. And it was now time for the Tang to proclaim their own imperial ambitions, and the stage was set for another civil war in China. So we're going to wrap it up here, and in the next two weeks you will see how Li Yuan defeats the Sui dynasty, and then how Li Xiumin basically removes his father from power, as well as his brothers. 
we can call it family love here. But that will all have to wait until next time. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode and I look forward to hearing from you again in the Chronicler podcast channel. Thanks for listening.